How many of you read this week's parasha? Oh, good. That's, that's better than usual, actually. Today's parasha is a favorite of rabbis, pastors, and treasurers. And you should all probably remember why. Moses tells the people to bring their offering so the tabernacle can be built. The people bring so much in the way of cash, jewels, and fine materials that the building committee finally steps up and says, Stop! No more! Don't bring any more offerings! God grant that we face some similar trial here. How pleased would our elder board be to stand up here at our quarterly business meeting and tell you that all our bills are paid. We have plenty of cash to build and maintain our own facility. And God will clearly be directing our steps for the next generation or so. That'd be nice. From now on, instead of tithing to a dot, I want you all to pick a worthy ministry or charity and donate your, your tithe to that. Well, there are two problems with that announcement. First off, while our current leadership has exercised exemplary stewardship, and they brought us, basically returned us from the dire straits we were in a few years ago, we're still light years away from having investment capital returns cover all of our bills. Sadly, we all depend on all of us to pay the rent. And of course, the bigger problem with using this part, this as a theme for our parasha, is it's not really a big focus of the parasha anyway. In four chapters, it's a few verses. They're attractive verses. They're hopeful verses, but not really the main focus of the parasha. We spend a lot more time looking at the remarkable spiritual gifts of two remarkable men whose contributions are often overlooked because church treasurers are jealous. Bezalel and Aholiav. They weren't preachers. They weren't worship leaders. They weren't prophets. But they were granted spiritual gifts that gave them a place in Scripture itself, a permanent record in the history of the worship of Adonai. So today I'm going to take a little departure from my normal stuff and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And to really confuse everybody, because I hardly ever do this, our core scripture is going to be from Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When's the last time I taught from the New Testament? It's been a while. So this is a fairly long passage, so if you want to follow along in whatever translation you have, you'll read basically the same things. We're all used to doing that, right? I'm reading from the King James just because I'm old and I like old-fashioned stuff. <laughs> now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Yeshua accursed. And that no man can say that Yeshua is Lord, but by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations. There are different kinds of synagogues and churches, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations. There are ministries, there are churches, there are synagogues, there are outreaches, there are charities. 
but it is the same God which worketh in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Messiah. How many of you have heard that before? I think everybody's heard that passage before. A couple of important points from this reading. A, everyone who is in relationship with Adonai receives spiritual gifts. B, despite all these gifts being different, it is the same Lord who gives them all. And C, all these gifts are meant to further God's kingdom. Now we have a list of gifts given there, just to make it easier to identify and codify them. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, speaking in tongues, I hear that one taught at retreats a lot. The interpretation of tongues, I don't hear that one taught very often. In other places, we find other lists of gifts. I'm sure we can think of more. Uh, teaching, preaching, hospitality, stewardship. Can you think of any others? What are some other spiritual gifts? Yeah, we already said healing. Serving, Okay. All right. Uh, leading worship, a heart of serving. How about a particular skill in stacking and arranging chairs? Can that be a spiritual gift? When it comes right down to it, we have all these spiritual gifts. Which of these spiritual gifts are necessary to serve God? Are there any that are unnecessary? Any extraneous gifts? Let's look at verse 10 of our core text. Let's see here. I should have said verse 11, sorry. All these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. All these gifts work through the same spirit. The very definition of a spiritual gift is that Adonai works through it. God grants you a gift then he uses that gift himself to do his will through you. So the answer then is no, there are no extraneous gifts. If he's not using it, if he doesn't require it to further his kingdom, then he didn't give it to you and it's not a spiritual gift. You see, you do have lots of other gifts. That doesn't mean it's a spiritual gift from God, though. The Ruach HaKodesh is not the only spirit in our lives. There are the enemy, Hasatan, and all of his demons. How many of you believe in demons? How many of you believe that demons have the power to affect our day-to-day lives? How many believe that Satan himself 
can come into your life and thwart a work that you're trying to do for God? Yes? These spirits can oppose and tempt us. But to be honest, most of us don't warrant that kind of attention. What we do all have, though, is the spirit of the flesh. We all have the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, that tells us our sin isn't so bad. It tells us, you know, even if it is bad, I'm not as bad as that other guy. And that spirit gives gifts too. For example, I've known people who had a positive gift for cheating at cards. It'd be amazing what they could do and just, you had no idea that you were being cheated until all suddenly you're out of money and they have all your cash. Or cheating at business deals. Have you known people who could just make a profit out of anything, no matter how underhanded it was? What's the source of that gift? Because it is a gift. I mean, it's, it, it, it is something that came to them. Have you ever known someone who could go out and seduce a different partner every night with no trying, no trying, no effort at all? Is that a gift from God, from the devil, or from the flesh? It can be hard to tell between the last two. Those of you who know me for a long time know that I possess a pretty hefty gift for criticism and cutting people down. Uh, those of you who haven't known me for a long time uh, feel grateful. That's a gift from my own flesh. And it's taken years of cultivating Adonai's gift of discernment just to be able to tell myself when to shut my stupid mouth. But enough about gifts we don't want. Everyone has gifts from God, according to this passage. Now, not everyone can prophesy or teach. I've never been able to miraculously heal But if the Bible is true, do you believe the Bible is true? If the Bible is true, and if this passage is not a glaring exception to that rule, I don't think it is, then the Spirit of God works in spiritual gifts through every man severally as he will. Every gift is useful to the kingdom. In fact, that's the biggest clue we have as to whether a mere talent is actually a spiritual gift, a gift from the Lord. Just one example. We wouldn't normally consider jewelry making or you know, the making of fine craftsmanship and little neat, pretty things to be a ministry skill. But Betelel and Holyav put the light of that. Now, most of us, our greatest gifts lie in our occupations. What do you do? What is your vocation? The traditional definition of a vocation is is, what you do for a living, to pay the bills. But the word vocation has the same root as this word vocal. Do you ever wonder why? Because the understanding was always that what you do for a living is what you are called to do. Vocally called. A wise man once said, find a career doing what you love, what you're called to do, 
and you'll never work a day in your life. Now, if most people follow that advice, we wouldn't need a cute saying about it. How many of you are performing your calling for a living? Okay. If so, that's great. But perhaps a better question is, how many are not fulfilling their calling for a living? Yeah, I think that's probably most of us. Now, for those folks, vocation may not take the classical meaning. Your vocation is not what you were called to do. It's just what you're paid to do. For those of us in that category, there is relief in what's called an avocation. An avocation is something that you do outside your profession. Something you do not because you're paid, but because you want to do it. What you do when you get home from work? Woodworking, cooking, entertaining, sports, music. Dance, writing, reading. Whatever makes you feel fulfilled and useful is your avocation. And it may be the same as your vocation. If so, Adonai has blessed you mightily. But it may not be. If that's the case, then Adonai has still blessed you mightily. Because you have a skill, a passion, a definition. You can attend retreats, and take lots of tests to confirm it. These generally confirm the test giver much more than the test taker. But odds are pretty good that if you possess a lot of skill in your avocation, in your hobby, it's your calling. In the Bible, we don't read much about hobbies. You ever wonder why? Well, hobbies are things we do in our free time. Free time is a fairly modern concept. When you read descriptions of the Hebrews by contemporary accounts authors of other cultures, they're often shocked at the idea of an idle Sabbath. Because most people worked all day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a solar year, just to put food on the table and keep themselves fed and sheltered. So whether it made you feel fulfilled or not, what you did for a living was what you did. Consider just a few biblical op- op- occupations. That's a real word. It comes out of my mouth. Moses and David, what, were their occupa- what was their occupation? Yeah, they were shepherds. They both spent a good chunk of their lives as shepherds. Moses also spent a good time as a management trainee, you know, Pharaoh ha- Pharaoh's household. And David also did lunch deliveries. Do you remember to the his brothers at the Philistine War. Still, huge chunks of their lives were spent herding sheep, which translated well to their later occupations of herding Israelites. I'm guessing the sheep were probably easier. Paul. Paul was a tent maker. We all know Paul was a rabbi and a teacher. According to Jewish tradition, I believe going back even as far as then, you weren't supposed to, to pay a, ten, a, a rabbi for teaching Torah. And so when the rabbi got paid, he was actually getting paid for the money he wasn't making at his profession because he was spending his time teaching you instead. And Paul might not be the best example I could choose anyway because although we have records of him pay, making tents to pay the bills, it's pretty clear that his calling was to teaching and evangelizing. 
It's especially easy to see that when Yeshua appeared to him in a vision, knocked him off his horse, and called him to it. Anyone else ever prayed for direction that clear? I, I really have. Daily. Well, maybe not the knocking off the horse. I'm not sure I can get up again. Peter and Andrew, what was their job? They were fishermen. They came from generations of fishermen. And if you look at the days immediately following the resurrection, their first comfort was to go back to being fishermen. When Peter walked on the water, think about this. We all know, we all read that Peter walked on the water and then he was afraid. And then he started to sink. And we can read that and we think, oh, yeah, I'd be afraid too walking on water. But most of us think of water like a swimming pool. Peter had been out on the Sea of Galilee during storms like this. Peter had seen probably friends, relatives, fathers, grandfathers die in storms like this. He had probably helped recover their bodies when they floated to shore. He understood what this storm was like. He understood more than anybody else in that boat probably the chance he was taking in stepping outside the safety of that boat onto the water to go to his Messiah. It always makes me think a little higher of Peter for making it that few steps before he sank. I don't think I could do it. But that fishing is his calling. The Sea of Galilee was Peter's calling. Now if we go to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Now, as he, he being Yeshua, by the way, in case you didn't already know. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Yeshua said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Why did Yeshua make them fishers of men? Because they already knew how to be fishers. He didn't ask them to become theologians, although they eventually would. He didn't ask them to perform miracles, although they would. He didn't tell them that since they were experts in handling scripture, midrash, and exegesis, they were qualified to serve. He told them to take what they knew to take skills they already possessed and use them to serve the Messiah. It sounds simple, doesn't it? So what do you do? Do it for him. What you do, this is where you can speak. Because you speak the language and I don't. You have a particular group of people with whom you share a history a context, a vocabulary. How many of you can talk easily about high finance? I can't. How many can naturally discuss the shared hazards of maneuvering an 18-wheeler through city traffic? A couple of us can. I can't. Not intelligently, anyway. How many of you can carry on a conversation with a biker or a sailor or a chef or a knitter or a policeman? 
and share the context of their issues. This is your ministry. You've earned the right to speak to them because you know what they're talking about. I know most, a lot of us have tried cold evangelism before. Some people have a gift for that. Most of us don't. We just walk up to somebody and start talking about Yeshua. What happens most of the time when you walk up to somebody and start talking about Yeshua? Yeah, people don't listen to you because you haven't earned the right to speak to them. They see you, and they don't see someone... They don't even see you as a person. They see you as a nut bar talking about the Bible, a Bible thumper. God doesn't call us to be Bible thumpers. God calls us to share the scripture, but God doesn't call us to be Bible thumpers. God calls us to bring people to him, to make disciples of all the nations. And we do that through having a relationship with people. Like it or not, Throwing your Bible in someone's face and telling them they're a sinner is not the beginning of a relationship. It's the beginning of an argument. Your job, your hobby, your vocation, your avocation are the basis of a relationship. And that's what our religion is all about, building relationships between people so that they can build relationships with their creator. So go out, and today, when you see people in your workplace, in your, wherever you hang out, at your bowling alley, if you hang out at the library, in your school, at the lunch counter, you and this other guy both like fish tacos. Hey, that's something to talk about. And then once you have a relationship, you can move on to speaking, to sharing the gospel. Be a fisher of men. Be a mechanic of men. Be a truck driver of men. Be a baker of men. A teacher, preacher, worship leader of men. Do what you're already doing. You don't have to go to seminary. Some of us did. Made us less approachable. You don't have to learn Hebrew. I encourage you to do so. It brings out a lot of the Bible, but you don't have to know. All you need to do is have a relationship with the Lord and a relationship with somebody else and use those two relationships to bridge the gap so that they can have a relationship with the Lord. Use your God-given spiritual gifts because these things you do in your life are spiritual gifts if they further the kingdom. And use those gifts to begin relationships with those who share that gift. That's the beginning of your ministry. That's the beginning of using your spiritual gifts to serve the kingdom. Now, if you use those spiritual gifts in this way, if you go out and you build a relationship with people around you, and then once you have a relationship, you use them to share your relationship with the Lord, what's the result of what, ha- what happens when you do that? I'll come back next week to find out. Same Shabbat time, same Shabbat channel.
Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Father, as we come before you today, we, we thank you for each and every one of the people here today. Lord, I, I, I thank you for the multitude of gifts that they bring. I thank you, Lord, that every single person here can do something I can't do. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that every one of these people can reach somebody that I can't reach. Lord, I ask that your love would flow through every person in this room, through every person they contact, through every person they encounter. And Lord, that the whole world would see all of us and see there's something there that they want. And there's somebody here to whom they can speak. And there's somebody here in whom they can confide their fears, their shames, and their desire to be better people. Lord, I ask that your forgiveness, your love, your passion, your grace, Lord, all that you are, flows out from us, through us, to the entire world and brings the entire world to you. In the name of Messiah. Amen.